Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. All right, so what are we on at the moment? What series? Go! Is there a nice slide behind me? Thank you, Trevs. He's in the role of uh, Sybil Faulty today, stating the obvious. I receive you, my brother, with a glad and sincere heart. Resurrected life in Him, Matthew 28. <coughs> and we are at the moment in the season of going through what does a going church look like in God? Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, the great command. Now this resurrected life thing has had me perplexed and gripped my heart, made me feel insecure, unworthy, as I've been thinking about this. And you know when you've got a task that, that is too close to home, you sometimes just avoid it. You, anybody else ever in that space? Or is it just me? Yo, have I tried to avoid this thing? My goodness. Because I really do not feel in myself at all worthy to talk about living in a resurrected life. You'll recall when I did the go and the, the six points and we added the seventh one, which was the celebration of the musical part of worship. This point was where Lazarus was called out of the tomb and Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And I said to you in that initial message, we should live in resurrected life, in resurrection life. And it seems so easy when I say it so quickly. Come on, church, just live in resurrected life. And then you start to think, but what <laughs> does it mean? And it undoes you. It, it, it goes in places where you are not comfortable for God to go. So this morning, I've got a bit that I want to dwell on, the portion and the text. Then I just want to talk about death. And then I want to talk about a couple of things that I felt we are being resurrected in to. But I feel uncomfortable because I know I can't do this. And I'm sure you're going to feel uncomfortable. But you know, discomfort is never, never a reason for us not to pursue what we should do. I was reminded this week that growing, the state of growing, is not a disqualifying place to be. Instead, I want to venture and say it is quite possibly the place to be. But we as a people and as a congregation say, I haven't grown enough in this area, therefore I can't go. Or again, it's just me. But this message almost tackles that thing at its core. 
Because it says we have resurrection life. Therefore, we can go. It is not how close we are to the perfect state of maturity. It is how much we understand of resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Why is go at this stage a hot topic for us? Because quite frankly, we are tired of your faces. <laughs> we just want to get rid of you all. We go. Quite the opposite. When people go, they leave such a gap because in this place, we have made it a community. But not in church sense, Christianese, oh, we're a community. We feel each other's pain. We love each other through dark times. We celebrate in good times. We are a true community. So no, we don't want to get rid of you. But God says, go. Have to be obedient to His word. The other thing that's changing is our community is getting housing units. Lovely dwellings being built. They project 8,000 units built over the next couple of years. The first thousand apparently has been commissioned. There are families there that I don't know if they know Jesus. Do you? None of us do because we haven't gone there. Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. It's relevant because God planted this church here from 1982. Because He knew in 2019 houses are going to be built. Streetlights are going to come. Todd Rhodes. Oh, yes. He knew it. And do you think he planted us here because he just wanted us to have a mediocre cup of coffee around a round table that's dated? No. No. He had great purpose in, in store and in his mind when he established this vision through Rigby and Sue that time. You know the other relevance of going is if a river doesn't flow, it becomes stale, stagnant, and a breeding ground for Belosha. <laughs> I feel convicted sometimes. Have I gone stale in my going? I think the other thing that's happened is NCMI has kind of ruined the scripture for us because unless we are going across borders, we don't feel like we are going, eh? Unless we're on the mission trip to Nagaland or Pune, Mashvingo, Tet, we are not going, eh? I don't think that's how God intended this thing. I'm going to remind us as a congregation. <clears throat> for some of us going is stepping out of our comfort zones and serving in this congregation on a Sunday morning for some of us going is coming to prayer meeting on a Tuesday once a month for some of us it's going to a home group for some of us it's going to the police station and the community things like the hospitals and serving there and painting orphanages and feeding all the people all day chumps. For some of us, it's going into Joburg, into the areas that are not so nice. They don't 
look and smell so nice. For some of us, it's going into those areas where it smells so nice. And the lawns are so green. And the houses are so well maintained. For some of us, it's going into the nations. For some of us, it's going and never coming back. For some of us, it's going and coming back. But go isn't just go when you go to an area that you feel deserve it. Go is going to where God points us to go. In this season, are you saying, I'm there? Because unfortunately, if you're not there, you're going to be left alone and left behind. So this thing, open your Bibles in John 11. It's, it's quite a chunky piece of scripture. I'm going to try and read it slowly and make the comments once and get it over with, if that's okay. But please allow me this. Page to John 11, open your app at John 11. I updated my OS this week, and all of a sudden, my olive tree app doesn't work anymore. I've got all the relevant pieces of scripture it would seem, and then a lot of no relevance because they're just gone. Don't know how these people think we must live. Your Bible there. I was reminded this week that when we read the Bible, it's a historical piece that's been recorded by a person. It's a narrative of what happened at an event that is recorded for posterity, for history. It's, it's happened. So my first question is, when you read the Bible, do you know that it happened? Or do you just think it's a good story? Like when you read where they, the guy sacrificed his child, it was history, it happened. Where we read Jesus was crucified, it's history, it happened. Where he multiplied food, it happened. I'm, I'm, when I read it, I was reminded that there is is a cultural aspect to the text that I'm reading that I'm not aware of because I'm not Jewish and I was born in 1978. The 20th of November, it's the end of the month. But I wasn't born back then. I don't know what it's like to churn butter by myself or, or quickly eat whatever is slaughtered because tomorrow it's going to go off. I don't know what it's like in winter times to live with the animals inside my kitchen. I don't know what it's like not to have a bedroom. Culturally, it's not, I have to realize when I read it, there's a difference there. I have to realize that it was written by the writer using the, the things that, the, that they used in that time, that some of the idioms and the, 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 the phrases were specific to that culture. So I should go and find out what did it mean when they said that. I'm reminded that Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic was vastly different than our English spoken language. But I'm so reminded that was it not for the inspiration of the divine Godhead to this recorder of history, there would have been nothing. And I find relevance in the word in that. 
which means my God, who loves me more than I can ever imagine, deemed it worthy to go and tell some person to record this piece of history so that thousands of years later, I can read it and make sense. It also means whatever they intended, he can say that and much more because the Holy Spirit was the inspiration behind the Bible. Who else had that revelation this week? There we go. All of us, eh? <laughs> can we fall in love with the Word again and become in awe of the Word again and know what it's there for and why it should be read by us and consumed by us and applied by us? So let's get into John 11, the death of Lazarus. Lazarus meaning God has helped. El Azur. God has helped. So it starts with verse 1. Now a certain man was ill. <laughs> Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and his sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. First comment. When you pray for people, do you carry them before God in a similar way? God, Trevor, whom you love, needs an answer. Sylvia, whom you love, oh Lord, bless her. Can you remind yourself that even though you might not love everybody, God does. <laughs> you will meet every day every person that you meet He loves. Lord, He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, now I've thought about this. I wonder if Jesus was walking by himself going, hmm, this illness doesn't lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Or was he sitting with his friends and saying, this illness that they're talking about, it's not going to lead to death. Whatever. Pay attention to the things that God says here. Let your imagination go when you read the Word of God. Now, Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. <laughs> Does it not perplex you? Does it not baffle you? That the miracle-working God that can make a difference decides so specifically to stay two days longer where he was. Does it not bother you that in other context he just said, go home for your servant is healed. And at that hour, the servant was healed. He stays mute. He doesn't say anything. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are they not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now guys, I don't know if Jesus said 12 hours because back then they didn't believe necessarily in that. Which brings me to the point that I made earlier. Sometimes you have to read it with, there's been interpretation here. Hey? But Jesus is saying, we will walk in the light. We are not going to hide ourselves. If they want to stone me, let them come. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. 
but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. He'll wake up. If you have a teenager, I don't think if, unless you wake them, they won't wake up. They just sleep forever. But it, Lazarus was not a teenager. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Thank you for the obvious. Then Jesus told him plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now, isn't it interesting how sometimes Jesus speaks, but we think he's saying something that he's not saying? And if we just run with what we interpreted the first point, we will miss what he is saying and potentially miss that it is for our sake so we can see his glory. What am I saying here? This is why we say to you as a congregation, before you make life-altering decisions, consult the Word of God. Consult those people that are mature in the Lord. Consult those that have a proven record of hearing prophetically from God. Consult those that love you, that have your best interest, and that will be brutally honest. You don't want to miss what God wants to say to you taking liberty here but hear the point that i'm saying do not just take everything and run with it so thomas called the twin in aramaic thomas's name means twin said to the fellow disciples let us also go and we may die with him so now i think thomas has missed the entire thing i think he's still on that they're going to stone us when we go page let us also go with him we might as well just die with him Okay, cool, Thomas. You go for it, bro. At least Thomas was honest about what he felt. And how refreshing it is when you sit with somebody and they're not telling you what they think you want to hear. They are just telling you, yeah, I feel like I'm just going to die. They might as well just come and pick up my body. Um, now, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. I'm struggling to put together how this worked. Because he stayed two days longer, did the journey for two days. But he wasn't dead when the message came, or was he dead when the message came? It has just been an interesting thing for me to plow my head around. But let me tell you, some of the thoughts we get, like that one, is absolutely us. When you read your word, the enemy will come with all types of distractions. And all of a sudden you wonder, why did they put the comma there? And why not a semicolon? Is it just me that I, that happens to when I read the word? Hey, the distractions come. Be wise when you read the word of God and say, nope. He was four days dead. That's it. Bethany was near Jerusalem. Another thing, it's near. Why did it take them four days? About two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. And how brutally honest is that? Level such an accusation at the feet of the Savior of the world. 
Notice how Jesus doesn't recoil or steps back. He just leans into the conversation. But even now, <laughs> I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's brutally honest about how she's feeling. And later, Mary echoes the same words. But she says, yet, I know that, that God listens to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And this is a telling point because Martha is now showing that she understood Jesus as a rabbi, a teacher, who understood the, and interpreted the scriptures that said we will rise in the end again with uh, God. But what she's also revealing is that she's missing the point that he's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He is the Messiah. And Jesus doesn't go, sit down, Martha. And embarrasses her. He just carries on in the conversation. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And he goes to Martha, like he did with Peter, at the level, and he says, I hear you, but do you hear me? And can I remind you about who I am and what is in me, in my name and in my nature, resurrection and life? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Do you allow God, through his word, to sometimes remind you about who he is? And are you quick to respond like Martha? When she said this, she went and she called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. Again, this brutal honesty because there's such relationship. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The original words mean that he was emotional. He struggled to hold back the tears. He cried with them. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Can we get to the point where we acknowledge emotions but don't react emotionally? God is okay with us having emotions. God is okay with us having truthful conversations with Him where we can say, God, if you were here, it wouldn't have happened. We can cry and say we are sad. He says, don't react out of that. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? That's what all of us were thinking. Why didn't Jesus just come? Then Jesus deeply moved again, again crying, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, 
said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, a smell, for he has been dead for four days. Now look how they strip away, the, the, the recorder strips away the personality of Lazarus. First couple of verses he's mentioned by name, Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus. Here he is simply referred to as the dead man. Wanting us to know that there is no soul left. There is no person. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. I wonder if it was just as easy as that. Guys, go to a graveyard and say, please dig up this grave. Four days this man has been buried. Just dig it up quickly. Do on Go. I'm not going. Even in our African culture, it will be even worse. The Bible, when you just read it on faith, it seems like it was just like this. And guys, a cave is not a klein chaiki. It's not a small little thing. It is, how big was the stone that was rolling in front of this thing? How many people did it take to move the thing? Because they were all crying. <laughs> Morning, now they must come and push a stone. They're like, ah, oh, we came here for the sandwiches. Now we have to work. <clears throat> Can you imagine how this thing played out? It didn't just happen, ha, huh, gone. In Jesus' case, yeah, different story. But not here. So now they open this thing, and Jesus does what he does best. He speaks to his dad. He says, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. You have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And what they have called a soulless, nameless man, Jesus calls by name. Lazarus. Not you dead body, sack of bones, come out. Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Oh God, we thank you for your word, Lord. Father, I pray that we as a people, a collective body of your living stones, the church of Jesus Christ right here in LRC Limbro Park will be filled with a, a love for your word, understanding of your word, Lord. That we will never take it for granted, my God. In Jesus' name, amen. I have taken some time to unpack a chunky piece of Scripture. It is never a waste to read a chunky piece of Scripture, and I'm not going to apologize for that. But I'm trying to encourage you to pursue the Word of God with everything in you. We don't have to go and study theology or have been a Christian forever to just make simple sense of what God wants to say for us. And in that point of pursuing it, God meets us. Be encouraged, LRC. But also at the same time, be admonished if you're not reading the Word of God regularly. Get into the habit. Now, death. That was point one. Death. 
I feel like God in this season where we are going, and before we get to what we are resurrected into, would like to put to death a couple of things in us as a people. Now, there's very little for me. But on the other hand, for you all, <laughs> isn't that how we do life, right? I felt that God wants to tackle our natures. And by that, I simply mean the way that we act and the way that we react. Not the same thing if you study psychology, you will know. Act or react. The way that I act, our nature sometimes is, Hola Ruben! In my Mediterranean, Hispanic way, my nature, who I am. Loud and, and out there. And how I sometimes react is still in my rampant in nature. What did you say? <laughs> I don't back down. You come with me, you better come with a gun because I'm coming with a knife. How my nature, how I react. Situation that comes to me. Thank God I've had wise um, brothers that have spoken into my life. I've had mentors that have spoken into my life and said to me, stop reacting. Sorry. Stop reacting. Stop letting other people control what God wants to do in you. Our natures. Now, it's very difficult for me to speak about this because it's not me, but the quiet-natured people. How we judge the quiet-natured people from our position of authority. How us loud people judge the quiet people. Why don't you just speak up? God has renewed your nature. But we never look into the mirror where they say, and He has also renewed yours, so sh be quiet. But as much as my loudness and my aggressive confrontational nature um, sometimes leads me into hot spots, your backing down and quiet and, and reserved and, and, and hiding nature does the same, doesn't it? God, in this season, He can't deal with our, we, we can't go out there with our natures as the prevalent natures. We can't do it. He wants to put it to death. So we will rise up in the nature of Christ, which says we will become all things to all men and I've proven I'm standing here as a testimony you can even drink things that no person should drink and live did it in India you know what else it says it claws at that thing that says this is when I was born and this is what my house was like and this is red hair and, and freckles and that's why I'm this or I'm a millennial and I don't have to speak if I don't feel like it. But I thank God that in this congregation, our millennials are not like that. They're not just opinionated, but they're teachable. They sit in our home group on a Tuesday, and as much as they bring their opinions, they listen. And they're able to say, but the Word of God is true, and I stand on it. In our congregation, God will kill other natures at the expense and for the purposes of Jesus' nature being established. I just want to say, if God's done that for the millennials, Gen X is He's coming for you. The sitting about saying, I've done my time, He's coming 
for you. The, the, the excusing nature is uh, coming for you. You are not too old. You are not written off. You haven't done your time. Your time is now as much as my time is now, as much as their time is now. We will go. The next thing that he's going to put to death, I believe, is, is our reasoning. You know, it was the age of enlightenment. How we think, how we speak, and what we prefer in here. Because I can sit and talk to you and say, oh, and engage with you. But I'm thinking you are such a boring person that just carries on around your own plans, ideas, and purposes. And I die on the inside. And then all of a sudden, things like, I'm dying, comes to mind. I am so bored. I am dying. And God says, please make it quick. So that the mind of Christ can influence your reasoning. Just die already. Die. The way we think about money, the way we think about our homes, the way we think about our family. The enemy is after maximum distraction. He will distract you for the purposes of destructing what he cannot get to. Your children will become that if you allow them to. Your marriage will become that. Your affair will become that. Your car will become that. Your money will become that. Your friendships will become that. Your comfort, Netflix, and any series, and it will become that. Jim will become that. Unless you keep going for the mind of Christ and slay your own. The next thing I feel God wants to kill and put to death in this season is our realities. I have watched all the Marvel movies, but I'm not talking about Thanos' reality. I'm not talking about an alternate reality, like when uh, uh, the DC movies go to Earth 1, 2, 3, and come back from 3, 2, 1. I'm not talking about alternate realities. I'm talking about the reality of who you are, where you come from, where you've stuffed up, where you've done well. What you have done in life, your design that you've lived out, your purposes, what you have given yourself to in vocation, your reality, your present. Because it holds us captive sometimes to the point of no participation. You either disqualify yourself, like Reuben said, in this prideful state of thinking less of yourself, or you elevate yourself to a level of Godhead on the other side of pride in arrogance. God wants to put to death that because we are new in Him. We have new purpose in Him. And you might have been the greatest engineer that ever walked the streets of Johannesburg, but for this next season, that reality needs to die so that you can become the greatest servant evangelist for his kingdom. Nature, reason, and reality. 
Now, once we have died, what then? I'm going to go through what I feel resurrection life will look like for us as a people that in this season go wherever He sends us. The first one, and I've taken all of these from Lazarus's state of being dead. Before Jesus said, rise up. The first thing we read is there was an odor, a smell. I want to say our old nature of sin has a stench to it. And if you don't know that, let me tell you, it does. It's the stench of, I don't, something's off. I don't know what's going on with that person, but something's off. They're treating me different. They, they're treating, you know, like when, ah, look how they look at people. Look how they talk about money. There's a, this aversion that you're like, ah. Like a body odor when you've, you've worked in the garden for a couple of days, but not just a couple of hours, and it's like clean sweat smell. This is like the sweat upon sweat upon sweat dried. Tried to cover it up with deodorant, more sweat smell. You know, it's that. There's a smell. It's our nature, guys. We are decaying in ourselves. And God wants to resurrect us into 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. Oh, and thank God for that. Because we walk with the aroma of Christ. The fragrance of Christ. Not covered up by a three-in-one essence. Washed away, cleaned out, rinsed, repeat, cycle, done. Second thing. <clears throat> it says that, he said, take the thing off his face. He was covered with a linen thing on his face. And I take that that there are restricted, na uh, restricted vision. Where we can't see where God is going. We can't see where we are going. We can't see what he's doing. We can't see who he's working with at the moment and we can't see people in need we can't see people we can rejoice with as much as we can't see people to mourn with the Israelites said to Moses cover your face because the glory is too much what an indictment have we not succumbed to the same thing have we not come to the point where we say, if I don't see it, it's not happening. If I don't see it, I don't have to rebuke it. If I don't see it, I don't have to bring truth. And we walk like cast down ostrich in the sand, people looking at the steps, avoiding eye contact because what if God says I must love my neighbor like myself? And our vision is restricted and God wants to come and take the linen cloth off and say, open your eyes. They are new in me. Look at people with my eyes. Restricted vision where we look at the outward appearance of people instead of the heart, instead of the potential of Christ in them. Number three, a cave with a stone is pretty dark. Colossians 1.13 He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Other translations say I've been transferred from darkness to light because Jesus is light and in Him there is no darkness at all, at all, at all. 
There is no darkness in him. But we want to keep something in the dark. This is my darkness. This is mine. No, God, not this area. This is mine. What happens on my laptop stays on my laptop. What happens at work stays at work. My darkness, God. And God says, you are dead. You have no rights. I live in you. It's not your darkness. It is mine. And I will make it light. But it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Who's ever slept in till 12 o'clock with blockout curtains? And then you go and open that, the curtains. And the first thing you do is, my retinas. Ooh. It takes a few moments. It's uncomfortable when he changes our darkness to light. Number four. Our friend, the dead man, let's not call him Lazarus now, was embalmed and treated for burial. <laughs> and I think God wants to come and resurrect us in an unpreserved life. Not a, a preserved dead corpse. They would wash the bodies and rub oil on it and I don't think they did quite as good a job as the, 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 um, the embalming process of the, the pharaohs or whatever because a year later they would bury the bones of the dead. You know, that's why Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. But there was some preservation done of the image of the person. It was washed, cleaned, and then carefully wrapped, placed And don't we sometimes want to preserve parts of our old life? No, but God, I like that about myself. I like that I can joke about things that would offend people if it wasn't a joke and just hide it under the fact that it's a joke. I like that part of my life. God wants it to die so that we can live in His nature, which is 1 Peter 1, verse 22 and 23, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You don't have to preserve yourself. God has given you a new nature, a new seed, imperishable. Are you guys still awake? Two more. Number five and six. God wants to resurrect us from our linen strips. Simply take off the things that constrain and bind us. Galatians 5.1 For freedom, Christ has set us free. Freedom. We are supposed to move and dance if we feel like that's how God wants us to praise Him. We should be able to move and go and take our cars and go and, and tell about Him. We should also be free to renew our minds from baggage that's on us. That's why we do journey. That's why we do grief counseling. 
Monica's kicking it off. I saw months earlier. When are we doing it? End of Jan. We're kicking off grief counseling again for people that have suffered loss. We want to take care of you. We want to take those things, help you take them off in Christ, that you can be free for freedom. That's what He's resurrecting us into. Freedom. And the last one. And this one, you've got to forgive me because I'm not sure whether it's entirely true, but I don't know if they buried them with or without clothes. But in my scenario here, he only had linen strips on him. And God wants to resurrect us in our nakedness before him, where we stand exposed and vulnerable before him and before others. Because the era and the time of faking it is over. God is longing for an authentic, sincere people that will love others irrespective of what they feel and think and how others offend them. An authentic people. He wants to resurrect us into authenticity in Him. He wants to take us and give us, resurrect us into His, his aroma not our odor. He wants to take us into His vision, how we see things, people, situations, circumstances. He wants to resurrect us into light out of our darkness. He wants to resurrect us into a new nature, imperishable in Him, from where we entered to preserve our little pieces of brokenness. He wants to take off the constraints of life and give us into freedom. And he wants to kill and resurrect us from the state of shame and resurrect us into naked, vulnerable relationship with him. Revelation 3:18 says, <clears throat> where he speaks to the church of Laodicea, and he says so that you may be rich, white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. I want to finish with Jude verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Rise up. Rise up. Come out of the grave. Come out of the tomb. Rise up and bind yourself so that you can go. Nowhere did Jesus say to Lazarus, first, be strong in your bones again. And when you are strong enough, then go. And bind that man so that he can go. I want to say, LRC, and bind yourself. Jesus is saying, unbind yourself so that you can go. Be resurrected. None of us have it all together. But the excuses are gone. He has resurrected you. You all had communion this morning. You are a new creation in Him. Let's close our eyes. Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. 
For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za.